This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode 140. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey there, and welcome to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Blanc. I'm really excited that you're here. Today on the show is Rebecca Walzer. She is a top financial advisor, but not any financial advisor. She's also a tax attorney, well strategist, a certified financial planner, and now she's also number one best-selling author of the book, Wealth Unbroken. And I'm really excited she's on the show because she's quite a bit different. She's not your normal financial advisor. And I think she's really going to rattle you up a little bit and wake you up about what you think you know about 401ks and things of that nature. So uh, 401k, bad, okay? So not the tax advantages you actually think. And she talks about what to do instead. Also, she talks about really the real reasons why real estate is a better investment than stocks and bonds. And we also talk about the upcoming market crash. So you're definitely going to want to tune in. We have some training for you as well. Some uh, I'm doing uh, monthly live webinars. The next one is uh, is in January 6th. It's called How to Get Your Offers Accepted Without Experience or Proof of Funds. That's at themichaelblank.com forward slash live. If you're listening to this in the future, we're going to keep this up throughout 2019. So just check back with themichaelblank.com forward slash live to see what uh, training webinar we have coming up. So with that, let's get right into the show with Rebecca Walzer. Hey, Rebecca, welcome to the show today. Thank you for having me. So glad to be here. I'm so pleased to be speaking with you today. And, and you're a financial advisor, CPA, tax attorney. You do all kinds of different things. So you're a little bit different than normal you know, financial advisor or CPA. What, what makes you different? Okay, I'm not a CPA, I'm a CFP, Certified Financial Planner, so a little bit different, but I am a tax lawyer, and I think that's probably what makes me different. You know, Michael, basically, I got my undergrad in finance, and I worked for over a decade in the financial corporate world, PricewaterhouseCoopers, IBM, AT&T, and knew I really, really wanted to become a lawyer because I kept bumping up against tax law with finance. And so went back to law school, went to the University of Florida after working in the corporate world for over a decade, and then went on to New York University in New York City for my advanced law degree in tax. And so I did the traditional route and practiced law exclusively for a little bit and really had a hard time. I basically was sitting in a boardroom with a client, with their advisor, their financial advisor, and me there as the tax lawyer. And knew that that was, that was an epiphany moment. I knew it wasn't going to work because uh, they only knew me as a tax attorney, didn't know I had a, a full you know, breadth of financial knowledge underneath me. And I knew that I would want to have my own practice where I could basically practice both the law and the financial piece. And so that's basically how I started my own practice uh, several years ago. Yeah, it's awesome. And and again, you're not the typical financial advisor who basically advises to uh, investing in stocks and and dividends and 401ks. So you're you're a bit different. In fact, you, you kind of call the 401k the big mistake. Holy yes. cow! What kind of financial advisor are you? I mean, what what's behind that? Yeah, <laughs> actually, I get so offended, you know, because I still see this massive conventional financial conglomerate of our 
industry, the world in the United States, basically, that really pushes this 401k usage of a vehicle. And they really do it out of laziness, Michael, more than anything else. And I hate to say that, but if you read the studies, which I do, and I'm sure you do, you'll see that they will talk about access to savings. And so, so many millions of Americans don't even have access to a savings, retirement savings plan, that those that have access to the 401k are so lucky that we should just be happy to have the access and use this plan by default. So out of laziness, we have pushed a strategy and a plan, the 401k, that was really came to life in 1978, the Revenue Act of 1978, but really was born and came into really being used in 1981. So if you just stop for a minute and think about, does anything that you do in your daily life on a daily basis have any relationship to 1981. It was created and hasn't changed since 1981 because that is the 401k. And that in and of itself is the problem. And and I can digest exactly where the 401k is a huge mistake. But basically the 401k came into being when Ronald Reagan was first inaugurated into office. And as you know, that's been a long time ago and everything has changed that made it make sense. Not one thing that made it make sense back in 1981 makes sense today. Well, let's hit a few of the high, the high points here because a lot of people I can listen to going, what are you talking about? I mean, I yeah. have 401k. I have a, it's the best thing. In fact, I even use it maybe for real estate investing. And now I'm being told that, you know what, this is maybe not such a great idea. So hit some of the high points of, of maybe why people should reconsider. Okay. So when the 401k came into being, the whole mentality that we were told was don't pay taxes now. And remember, I'm a tax lawyer, so I'm coming from this from a financial and tax perspective. Pay taxes. Don't pay taxes now while you're in your highest earning years. Defer the tax until you're retired because in theory, when you're retired, you'll be in your lower earning years and you'll pay therefore less taxes. So the 401k made sense in 1981 when it came into prominence. It made sense. We did not have a debt problem in 1981. We we didn't have a debt problem for a long time. We we didn't even have a trillion dollars of debt in January of 1981 when Reagan was inaugurated. So there was no debt problem. If you look back at 1981, the baby boomers were only 16 years old to 34 years old. So we didn't have this looming, massive retirement of baby boomers. You fast forward, Reagan was inaugurated that same year that the 401k really came into prominence. He decreased taxes. In 1987, tax policy changed forever. And for the last 30 years, we've had the lowest taxes since the 30s in our country. So we've had a sustained 30-year period or three-decade period where we've had low taxes. And we haven't cut spending because of that, Michael. We haven't reduced federal spending. We've kept federal spending up, which has now resulted in literally a $22 trillion federal debt, national debt. So now we have the perfect storm forming where all these people who've built their retirement in their 401ks are going to be retiring at the same time this perfect financial storm at the federal level is colliding. And that is the retirement of the baby boomers. This will be the largest demographic shift from worker to retiree in the history of the world, really, onto social welfare programs that they deserve to get paid, but that do cost us money. So we've got this demographic shift happening at the same time as we have the largest debt in the history of our country, $22 trillion. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things you said is that we, we're assuming that uh, our earnings will go down in our retirement. My, my, plan, my earnings, I, I intend mine to go up in retirement. I don't know about you, Right. So that seems a little bit counter. So that's a little odd. And but yet I have some money and maybe my employer's matching it. And I'm really shifting things towards that. 
you know, why is that not a good idea? And, and even more importantly, well, shoot, what else should I do? So let me ask you a question. And, and you're the perfect example. I, I love your specific example because you're saying I'm going to actually have more money in retirement. And if that's the case, why would you ever want to defer paying the tax? Well, that's a good point. So theoretically, then I, I'm, I would be paying less tax now than I would be maybe when I'm, uh, you know, 20 years from now. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing is, is even if tax rates stay the same, that's the other problem with the 401k. The equation includes math and the math is that tax rates stay the same, right? Because if we are going to say you'll pay less in taxes because you'll make less, that assumes the tax rates stay the same. What's not actually going to happen is that tax rates are going to stay the same. We just, in December of last year, as you know, December of 2017 had the, you know, a tax repackage plan passed and we now have the lowest taxes for some people since the 30s. So now taxes in 2018, 19, and for the foreseeable future until Donald Trump is maybe no longer in office, we have taxes on sale right now. So for the people that are deferring the 401k, they're basically foregoing paying taxes at the lowest tax rate they could pay them at since the 30s to pay them in the future. And what the future is, is what is really the problem. It's not the taxes are a problem right now. The tax problem is the future. That is the problem that is coming. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you saying is we're at historic low tax rates and they're, if they're going anywhere, they're going up. And so the question is, well, what is the alternative? What should people think about if, they're not, if they should not be thinking 401k? Well, the first thing is, is we do not want you to walk away from free money. So let me be very clear. If your employer offers you a match, you know, you'd have to have a hundred percent tax rate for that not to work out for you. So we do not want you to not make your contribution to the match. Beyond the match is where it becomes really suspect because you're foregoing paying the tax at a super low rate for a future question mark. And we see that the question mark in the future is going to be a problem because of the retirement of the boomers and because of the collision of the national debt. So what we have to look at is our other non or tax advantage vehicles that we can leverage. And there's really only two, Michael. We have two tax-free asset classes that are really tax-free. Municipal bonds are not tax-free like people think they are, and I can explain that. So we have the Roth and cash value life insurance. Those are our true two tax-free asset classes. Let's talk about each of those. We don't have to go in huge debt, but some people are thinking about why. So the Roth, for what I know, is one of the things that you pay taxes now, but everything else that grows after that is essentially grows tax-free. Is that the, the main understanding of how that works? That's right. So you pay tax on the seed. You pay tax on the principal. As So basically, you don't tax defer. You pay the tax now. You earmark the funds in the Roth. And now the funds can grow the rest of your life. And not only the principal, but all of the growth is to be tax-free to you for the rest of your life. So that would solve the issue that you just talked about where, hey, let's take advantage of historical low tax rates, assuming that our income is going to go up over the years. Let's pay our taxes now and get it over with. So that's awesome. And what about the life insurance option that you mentioned? Life insurance is the most tax advantage asset class under the code. The Roth code, the tax code under the Roth was actually derived from cash value life insurance. They took the life insurance code under Senator Roth and basically said, let's just make a few little changes and tweaks to it and call it the Roth. But it really is the life insurance code. And that's why there's a lot of similarities, like the five-year vesting comes from the five-year. You can't basically fund a life pro uh, policy faster than five years without what we're making it a what we call a MEC, a modified endowment contract. So the Roth and life really do have similar tax policy. And it all is all derived from life. And if you think about the government's perspective, the government has every reason to make life insurance tax-free, tax-free at death and tax-free during life. And the reason for that is they want to encourage people to use it. 
if private citizens don't buy life insurance and somebody prematurely dies, they go to the government for substance help. And, uh, you know, they subs when I say substance, I'm talking about subsistence help. So, you know, um, we had a parent that prematurely died. Our children are going to get SSIDI until they're 18 years old. Or we need, you know, maybe some help with housing or maybe some help with food. So private replacement of funds when done through the private system is much preferable to the government than through public funds. And that's why they encourage us to do this by making all of these funds tax-free. So it's not like they're doing something altruistic. They, they have a, you know, an impetus to protect themselves and insulate themselves. And that's why they make life insurance so tax-advantaged. Yeah, so it's just another example. Hey, guys, don't just do stuff because everybody else uh, does it or, or tells you to do it. You know, look into some of these things. So if, what I hear you saying is if, you're, if your company is, is, is matching, then go ahead and do it up to that match, but beyond then really look at other vehicles as well. So Absolutely, that's yeah. fantastic. Now, you talk yeah. about retirement a lot. Obviously, it's a, it's a big deal. And you talk about this non-negotiable number in retirement. What, is, what does that mean? What is that all about? So, you know, I know we're going to talk about the book, but I basically wrote a book, Michael, this past year, and it came out in January of 18. Now, the Wealth and, um, Unbroken. Yeah. Wealth Unbroken, yeah. yes. And uh, I, I really talk about the two biggest financial threats to not only building your wealth, but maintaining your wealth for the rest of your life. And what we find, if you look at the math of the market, is we are in what I call the new normal of the market. So since the dot-com, really since the invention of the internet, we've become a global you know, basically a global economic market. We are no longer the United States or China. We're China and, and the United States together. And we can't undo globalization. It's not going to ever be undone. What, what has happened, though, with globalization is the interjection of what I call severe market volatility, extreme highs followed by extreme lows. This was a pattern that we're seeing now, and it's a pattern that is about to continue. We saw this with the dot-com bust, the three years in a row of negative returns in the S&P 500, which had only happened before, twice before, which that being the Great Depression and World War II. And then we saw it again with the Great Recession, which just literally, if you look at it, we got out of the dot-com bust in 2002. And just six years later, we, we finally made it back. We recovered back what we got in the S&P only to turn around and lose it again to a 57% drop with the Great Recession. So now we've had, we're now in the longest bull market in the history of our country, although October and November of 2018 have been very suspect, as you know. We're going to have another big correction and it's going to be substantial in the market. And these periods, these big drops are what actually kills and destroys your wealth. Mm -hmm. And the reason we know this is true is you could just look at the last 20 years and if you just eliminated the losses, even if you only got half of the upside of the market, but you eliminate all the losses, you actually outperform the S&P 500 over the last 20 years, two decades by simply eliminating loss and only participating at half the upside. So it, what we realize mathematically, Michael, is it's not about getting the highest rates of return. It's about eliminating the losses. So it's, it's, it's a uniformity in returns. And, and actually, this, this, this came to my attention very recently. And this is one of the main arguments for real estate investing or multifamily investing. And, and you look at the average returns with S&P, probably no more than I do, but they're like 12% over the last, I don't know, 12, 15, 20 years, whatever, some, some number. And, but if, because of the volatility, what you're saying, if you map that out year after year, it's actually not a 12% compounded return at all. It's actually right. more like 5.5% with all the ups and downs. That's right. Versus if you if you had just had eight percent steady eddy every single year, you would actually be farther ahead. And a lot of people don't understand. I didn't understand until until recently. Oh, the average turns twelve percent. 
but it doesn't account for the, for the lows and the volatility. That's right. It's not, what, it's not what we call a true return. You're 100% right. This is exactly what I'm saying is that, you, you know, and the problem is the non-negotiable number is born exactly out of that concept mm. because I work with people that are preparing for retirement and they're like, okay, I'm going to retire. And they've done the traditional route. They've built this money inside of a 401k and they're like, okay, what am I going to do now? Well, what you're not going to do, hopefully, is retire and leave this money in an IRA and have it drop 50% with the next market correction. Mm. Because when these people go into retirement, they have to supplement or augment their social security with a distribution from their IRA. And the last thing we want to do is pull out money from an account that has just lost 50% of its value. That's basically, you know, basically taking money from an account that we just, I mean, that's pillaging an account that's already completely lost half its value. We don't want to do that. And yet that's what the seniors need to do to actually augment their and maintain their lifestyle. So when we get themselves into that situation, it might be a bit too late to do anything about it. So some of us who are maybe who are not quite yet in retirement yet or still have a little bit of time, what's a good way to, quote, fix this or address this? So what you have to do, and real estate is a perfect example, you have to figure out what is non-negotiable for me not to lose. In order to maintain cash flow, what minimal amount do I need giving me a cash flow, even if it's zero and I have to spend some down some of my principal, it's better than taking a principal from an account, a portfolio that's 50% down on a loss. So we have to figure out what is the amount of our money that we've built up that we are not willing to negotiate one penny of loss from. We will not, if we have like a million dollar portfolio, Portfolio, and we need cash flow of let's just say uh, $20,000 a year, then some of it can be exposed to risk. You know, some of it needs to be non-negotiable so that we know we can get a $20,000 distribution from it without taking money from a down portfolio uh, subject to the risk of loss. Real estate is an example of a tool that we would use and leverage to account, account for that non-negotiable number. So, and you ideally want to want to avoid having to reduce your principal. That's one certainly one way to do it. Just simply, you know, and then that's how people run out of money at, at one point. Oh yeah, we definitely don't want to do that for so sure. So, is, is any? So, let's brainstorm a little bit. Anything? So, real estate we know and love, right? We know that we can invest a certain amount of money, and if we invest this properly, it's going to be a steady return through cash flow, and then maybe one day we sell it for for a profit. And so, I like that. A lot of people like it for that for that reason. Plus, we get the tax benefits. Is there anything else that people now should think about when they're thinking about? Uh, long-term future here? So I think real estate's at the top of the list because it, you know, is a great inflation hedge, a definitely a cash flow, sustained cash flow and enables us to get, you know, religious sustained cash flow, which is great. You know, as far as safe vehicles, absolutely safe vehicles, you know, you can do short-term CDs, obviously will give us a little bit of cash flow, but yet still hopefully, and we need to, we can go into longer term CDs, even three years or, or five years. Now we're talking about short-term like laddering strategies on bonds. But here's where I find that a lot of people go wrong, Michael, is they buy bond funds and they think that they're buying a bond and they're not. Bonds are just as volatile as the market. If you're not buying an individual bond, bonds get their safety through maturity. So unless you're buying a short-term three or five-year bond, 10-year bond, and you're buying a bond fund, you're getting volatility like anything else because it's going to be volatile subject to the risk of interest rate changes, right? So bonds can, if you buy a bond and actually hold the bond to maturity, you can get guaranteed cash flow from the bond for that short duration. That can also be a non-negotiable use of your number. Yeah. So it's interesting as a financial advisor, what I'm finding a lot, and this could be like you said laziness. Could be some other things I'm not sure, but it's very rare that a financial advisor advises their clients to invest in real estate. 
I think that the problem with real estate advising your client to do it is one, you don't have any control over what they buy, unless you're doing something like you where you have sort of this turnkey solution, obviously, you know, but that's what most financial advisors, I mean, as you know, Michael, real estate is all encompassing and it is, it is an all encompassing asset class. So it's really hard for an advisor to feel like they have control enough or understand enough about the real estate animal to really incorporate it as a part of a portfolio. Even myself, we like real estate and we like to leverage real estate, but we will outsource that piece of it to a third party that this is all they do because real estate is its own animal. You've got to have the right property. You've got to have the right cash flow. You've got to have the right landlord to make sure you have the right tenants. There's a lot of variables that financial advisors, I don't think, feel equipped to deal with. And so they just pass on it and say, let me use something that I know I can control. Well, see, you're doing it, right? I mean, yes, you, you're, quote, you outsource it, but what, really what you're doing is you're bringing someone on the team that knows this stuff, someone you trust. Yeah. Because really what you're trying to do is you're trying to look out for your clients, right? Now, if, if I have my head in the sand as a financial advisor and I say, no, 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 I can't see it. No, I can't, I can't hear you. La, 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 la. I'm just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. I mean, how are you really serving the I mean, it kind of makes me angry a little bit. And maybe you as well, when financial, literally like 98% of the financial advisors, that's all they say. When you say, well, you look at this thing, all you have to do is educate yourself a little bit. And now you're actually serving your clients better. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that it's a, it's definitely a piece of the puzzle. In my book, it's definitely a part of our structure of a, of a model portfolio. So long-term real estate should be in there. But again, for your average advisor who wants to look, I'm fighting, I'm, I'm fighting advisors in the conventional wisdom, Michael, just for people to use and leverage life insurance, as a, which is a, wow. <laughs> has been around for 200 years and is a very conventional vehicle. But still, most advisors, if it does not exist in the three corners of the market, and I mean, and I say the market, I mean a stock, a bond, an ETF, a mutual fund, or some variation thereof, they just think that it's outside of the norm and let's not, they don't even want to bother with it. It's too much outside their comfort zone. They definitely don't have the expertise to speak about it, so they don't deal with it. They don't incorporate it. It's an, it creates an opportunity for you, right? You, you, have, you, you kind of have a non-traditionalist you know, view on these things and people kind of go, wow, that's interesting only because you're taking the time to educate yourself and now you're telling other people about it. But it just drives me crazy that people, they just kind of do what they're told, maybe because we're all inherently lazy, right? Your financial advisor says XYZ, uh, asset diversification when it's actually not really diversified and you know, yeah. that sounds like a good thing. You, you talked about your, your books called Wealth Unbroken. What are some of, we already talked about a lot of the key takeaways. What are some other key takeaways you want people to remember from that book? I think that the three big takeaways I think that like we talked about is there's the two biggest risks. The two biggest risks, in case it wasn't clear before, are having a 100% market-based portfolio and dealing with it and letting it go through, you know, the buy and hold strategy, which is a very conventional strategy that's pronounced all the time by conventional advisors all over the country. This is a long-term strategy. We buy into it and we stay the course. They'll, you'll, they'll tell people that. We stay the course. Oh, the market's getting rough. It's getting rocky. Oh, no, we stay the course. So staying the course when you it means you're going to go through all the downs. And the downs don't bother us in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. But when we're 55 or beyond, you know, and we're close to retirement, 10 years or less from retirement, and we can no longer afford, Michael, to stay the course. We cannot afford to go through the downs anymore. That's the bottom line. We cannot afford it. So that means that we have to use outside asset classes, other asset classes that will not go through the volatility of the markets. That's takeaway number one. Takeaway number two is if you've built all of your wealth pre-tax and a 401, you need to seriously look at a conversion 
to the Roth, especially now while taxes are on sale. Taxes are probably the biggest threat to most Americans who have any wealth to speak of. Most of them have built it conventionally in a pre-tax account, and they don't understand the tax policy changes that must come in the future. I take a large part of the book and I explain to them where we are today, how we got here, and really what that means for where we're headed. Because what I see, Michael, are normal and average tax rates of 45% and up. And that has got to be scary to people. People think that 25% is a lot. And they're trying to come to me to get their rates down. And I'm thinking, my gosh, anything 25% under, we're like in heaven. We are in a, coming into a period of time where we will have to have tax rates be unrecognizable for the last 30 years. So tax is the, probably the biggest threat if you have pre-tax wealth for sure. And then the third takeaway is to leverage those non-traditional asset classes to make sure that you have non-negotiable numbers that are not dependent on what the market is doing so that you have cash flow that you're going to be able to live off of no matter what happens with the market and whatever happens come what may. Love it. So good. And the book is called Wealth Unbroken. I love the subtitle, Growing Wealth Uninterrupted by Market Crashes, Taxes, and Even Death. So awesome stuff. And I would even argue no one really can, can or should afford getting into anything that might you know, crash one day. I mean, even if I have another 20 years on my runway, why, why subject yourself to that? So really love that. Rebecca, how can people find and connect with you? So they can definitely get the book. I, I find a lot of people have reached out to us this year, Michael, have read the book and then come to our practice. And it, it's just so easy to work with people that have already read my book. They know my whole philosophy. It's like, I, sometimes I'm like, oh, you already know this about it. And then I forget, yeah, they read my book. Yeah, I know. So for certainly, go to Amazon, get the book, Wealth Unbroken. But certainly you can come to our website, Walser Wealth. And Walser is W-A-L-S as in Sammy R, WalserWealth.com. And we have you know all the ways to get in touch with our practice right there. So that's really how to do it. That's awesome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so glad to have been with you and I love what you're doing and with real estate and I just uh, thank you for having me. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed that with uh, Rebecca Walzer. Key things to remember is 401k only up to match if your employer is matching. Otherwise, reconsider strongly converting to Roth. Uh, she made a really good point about historical low tax rates and uh, take advantage of that now. Kind of like locking low interest rates right now. Let's lock in that low tax rate and convert to take the hit now and convert to Roth. Good advice. Also look into alternative life insurance policies. And these are not necessarily for the death benefit, by the way. These are fantastic vehicles to generate cash flow and long-term wealth, not unlike real estate. I had a podcast episode with Patrick Donahue. Uh, check out session number 128. So it's michaelblank.com forward slash session 128 by Patrick Donahue. Also read his book, Heads I Win, Tails You Lose. Really kind of goes into the details of that product. And certainly Rebecca can help you with that as well. So make sure you contact her. Really, really cool. I'm doing it myself. So take a look at that alternative. It's been around much longer than even the banking system, but no one knows about it because of the reasons that Rebecca talked about on the show. And then also consider investing in real estate. The point you made about the volatility of the stock market and how the compounded returns are actually more like 6% year over year when it looks like it was 12% is totally real. So really look into consider investing in real estate. Consider uh, investing with us uh, in, our, in our syndications. You can find out more at themichaelblank.com forward slash invest. You can register in our investor portal and uh, we'll continue the conversation there and uh, present you with deals as they arise. Really love the attractive risk profile that multifamily has, how it performed the last recession, much, much lower volatility, higher above average returns, 
And then coupled with the tax advantages really makes it no match to the stock market at all. So really take a strong look at that, though you may have to do it without your financial advisor or switch to someone like Rebecca as well. I just love the way, the different ways you can get involved in this business. I mean, you can become a passive investor and take advantage of the returns, the risk profile and build a passive income, just like the person, the syndicator who's finding the deal. And then there's this middle ground, the money raisers. And they go out there and they look for money and they bring it to syndicators who have the deals and are putting the deal together. We see a lot of that happening, these joint ventures. We've actually done quite a few of them as, as well. So I invite you to take a look at that and have a conversation with us as well. And you know, if you're syndicating or you want to raise money, you got to learn the art of raising money. You got to learn the art of evaluating deals, of evaluating good operators, et cetera. So take a look at some of our training programs we have. We, you know, we also have coaching programs. Check that out at themichaelblank.com forward slash coaching. And what I love about this program is that really accelerates your learning curve and really it's designed to get you into a deal in the next 12 months, either frankly as a syndicator or a money raiser, right? So the money raiser, we want you to raise $500,000 in, in 12 months uh, and there's a, a number of people who are, who are very successful in doing so so take a look at that the michaelblank.com forward slash coaching and set up a free strategy session if if you think uh, that is for you all right guys appreciate it hope you showed it joe i'll catch you in the next episode thanks for listening to the apartment building investing podcast with michael blanc for more free podcasts articles and videos go to themichaelblanc.com there, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.